Greetings. Good morning. I think it's on. There it is. Okay. I started out as a, an open-air proclaimer, uh, otherwise known as street uh, preacher, and um, sometimes that carries over when I don't have audio in many parts of the world. And after I'd once finished, a lady came to me and said, I've heard many better preachers, but never heard a preacher better. So I'm uh, hoping that uh, uh, you, can, you can hear me. Uh, and Bob uh, Deffenbo, what a gracious gift he is to the body of Christ especially here uh, among you for over 30 years, but also uh, to people like ourselves and other parts of the world. Thank you for the introduction, uh, Pastor Bob Deffenbaugh, to, to your congregation. Uh, the some pastors, uh, uh, you know, uh, lead their sheep. Other pastors fear their sheep. Some pastors shear their sheep. Uh, <laughs> some pastors are allergic to their sheep. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and some pastors actually love them, and uh, I sense that in Bob and his relationship with you. Um, when we were talking about my availability to be here, this was a Sunday that became quickly available because about a month ago, Reach had a prayer meeting here, and some of you were there, and uh, we can always measure uh, the health of a church by those uh, the turnout for the prayer meeting was just one of our, our richest times, and thank you for, for coming. And it was at that time, Bob said, if you have a Sunday available, would you come and share? And I said, yes. And so here this day on the 13th of January, Bob has uh, managed to postpone uh, the, the Cowboys game till 3.30, so I have uh, a, a, a lot more time with you. Um, it was G.K. Chesterton who said, the, the object of a new year is not for the sake of a new year. The object of a new year is for the sake of a new soul. And this morning, as I was listening to Bob's delivery of last Sunday's message, I said, this man is actually calling for a new soul of, uh, from the congregation uh, to refashion, to renew, uh, to redeploy you uh, into the world. I uh, got an email from him on Friday, and he set out the contours of, of uh, what he thought I should bring. So I don't want to tell you what to do, but uh, here's some help. So I'm going to borrow from the soup sermon from last uh, Sunday, when he brought together the spiritual gifts and asked a series of questions, uh, played a sort of a junior Fred Smith in my life, as I listened to it on the MP3. Uh, this morning, I wanted to get ready. Uh, perhaps for some touch points and tangential connections to, to what I may have to say to you. As he uh, mentioned, in addition to being a Dallas Seminary, from which I've uh, known many of you, I get to serve as the leader of a small organization. Uh, REACH uh, undergirds my global proclamation. Our priority is the 200 weaker economies of the world, but our scope is worldwide. Our vision is to change the way one billion individuals think and hear about the Lord Jesus. We do that especially by strengthening pastoral leaders and evangelizing opinion leaders. In my presence, through major media, and through ministry training. If on the strength of this talk and the prayer from last uh, month, uh, you would like to know more about the ministry, a colleague of mine, Susan, has got a table out there for you. Would you please stop uh, and take some materials? Uh, perhaps this will be part of uh, redeploying uh, CBC. 
uh, in the new Seoul of 2008. Uh, I asked Bob what I should wear today. He says he, he comes here without even a coat or a tie, so I did my best. Um, I was once at a church where the first service, the pastor wore a coat and tie. The second service, he took off his tie. The third service, he took off his coat. And I said, I'm grateful that we didn't have seven services. There would have been uh, a, a, real, a real challenge. So for the next 35, 40 minutes, I want to present um, a sort of a fruit to my esteemed professor, Don Glenn, who taught me Hebrew exegesis with Greek exegesis in Gallic. Uh, as he taught me the Psalms, I came across a Psalm that I'd like to share with you. If you have a Bible accessible, I would like you to turn with me to Psalm 67, and we're going to read this responsibly, Psalm 67. And if you would kindly stand for the reading of God's Word, I will read the first verse, you read the second verse, and we will read the seventh verse all together. Psalm 67. I read from the New American Standard. I know there may be other versions and perversions present. For the choir director with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. All together, God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Father, I thank you for the privilege of uh, representing you again uh, to your people. And thank you for a new body of believers to whom and which I can expose what you've placed in your scriptures and process, process through my heart. I pray that you'll remove anything that is uh, against your holy will and desire, any uh, aspiration, any motivation. And I ask that uh, you will feel free to show off uh, this morning. I thank you that you can move where neither surgeon or counselor can. And because of the nature of your word, we ask that you make a decisive, incisive probing of the human heart. In the name of the Lord Jesus, and for the sake of his reputation, I ask. Amen. You may be seated. At the turn of the 20th century, that's about a hundred some years ago, the most known astronomer in the whole world was a man by the name of Lovell, Percival Lowell, actually. He was known for his fascination with the red planet Mars and had a theory that there were giant canals and water channels on the planet Mars. In 1877, when an Italian astronomer thought he saw red lines on the red planet, Lowell said that actually proved his theory that there were water canals and channels on the red planet Mars. 
But now we know much better. We've said, sent NASA probes into Mars, and they've mapped out Mars like the back of our hand. And they've not found a single water canal. There's actually uh, some debate, even now, that perhaps there are some water deposits, but residual deposits, no water channels and canals. So questions arise as to how Lowell saw something that wasn't there. They've done a whole bunch of study, and it falls to ophthalmologists who have actually named a disease after Lowell. It's called Lowell's syndrome. Because when Lowell thought he was seeing canals in the planet Mars, all he was doing was mapping out his own eyeballs, the blood vessels in his own eyeballs. He thought he was seeing way out there. All he was doing was really seeing inside himself and confusing himself and the rest of us. As I heard the soup sermon, I'm going to call that the soup and soul sermon last, of last Sunday, I think your pastor was asking for you to look beyond your eyeballs and not to confuse yourself. It used to be that the word world extended the end of our noses, but uh, now we're just mapping our own eyeballs. The disease is a plague in contemporary Christianity where the privilege of the self becomes a responsibility of the self. And we've fallen a prey to a spiritual Lowell's syndrome. Psalm 67 cuts through. Any selfism, any desire for self-preservation, any desire for self-realization. And says, you uh, are not the object. You're simply an instrument. You're not the end. You're simply the means. You're not the source. You're going to be the channel. That the reason God has blessed you and you and you with life and health and breath and resources on a salvation base is not so that we can keep it for ourselves and sit on it. It is so that the ends of the earth may reverberate with his salvation. A couple of comments about the psalm before we go into the psalmist. You look at the top, it says, a psalm, a song. I'm going to divide this particular his psalm into a song, just like you have you know, verses and choruses. This psalm has three verses and two choruses, and I'll tell you those divisions in a moment. If you were talking to Don Glenn, he'll say this is a particular Hebrew construction called a chiasm. It's a sophisticated way to help people remember the content of the psalm without having to memorize it. If you look at this uh, psalm, it's uh, verses 1 and 7, which are parallel, 2 and 6, which are parallel, 3 and 5 are identical, all centering on verse 4. 
like having a phone number which goes one, two, three, four, three, two, one. Everybody would remember it. Another comment about the psalm, you'll notice that it does not have the personal singular pronoun. Just like the Lord's Prayer, there's no I, me, my. That means you and I are not the end of his gifts. You and I are not the object of his resources. We are simply the means. One commentator actually calls the psalm the ripple effect. The metaphor is very simple. The stone plot lands in the center and the whole pond feels the effect. The psalm is saying the stone of God's good salvation has touched you. And he's blessed you with salvation and more so that you become the first link in an aggressive chain contagion that reverberates across the whole world. The psalm has uh, three verses, like in a hymn. And verse 1, or stanza 1, if we make it more clear, is found in verses 1 and 2. I'm going to give you a phrase that you can slap on the side margin of your Bible so you can remember these later on. Stanza 1 is found in verses 1 and 2. I want you to write the words global knowledge. Global knowledge. The psalmist is praying for God's blessing on the believing community so there will be global knowledge of his saving ways. Verse 1 is a prayer. He's praying for God's blessing on the believing community. He starts out with God. How many of you know that in the book of the Psalms, uh, that they're divided just like the book of Moses, that there are five books of the Psalms? You also know that when a Hebrew used the word for God, he was saying much more than a name. It was more like a nickname. It was a meaning-filled name. That was part of their culture. And nowadays we name people because of rhyme and rhythm and parent and grandparent and after the best-known politician or movie star. They say you've got to be really careful how you name your names and be sure that the initials don't you know, come out D-O-G or H-A-G or something like that on your baggage tag. But when the Hebrew name was for character, not convenience. In the first book of the Psalms, the desired name for God was the national covenant name. The name which belonged to Israel. But in the second book of the Psalms, from Psalm 42 to 83, the decided preferred name for God it's a God who relates to all people, all nations. In the moment we'll know that he created all, he cares for all, and he will one day judge all. The very opening of the psalm, the psalmist says, this is God, this is a God who uh, runs the universe and relates to everyone in the universe. God. The God who runs the universe and relates to everyone in the universe. The psalmist prays a blessing on the community. 
He says, God, be gracious to us. God, please bless us. And God, cross your face to shine on us. The first of the three prayers, God, be gracious to us. I mean, that's how it all begins. There's no other platform by which we relate to him. I was talking to a bunch of real estate guys on Wednesday. For them to understand grace was a little difficult. Since they come from a Christian background, they knew that God could not think better thoughts about them. I said, do you know God doesn't think any worse thoughts about you because relate in grace. In places I've been to, perhaps in a university setting, somebody would come and say, but God doesn't give me what I deserve. Bad question. If God gave you what you deserved, you wouldn't be there in the first place to ask the question at all. The only thing I deserve is annihilation, destruction. It's grace. God be gracious to us. You've heard the uh, normal definition of grace as unmerited favor. I'd like to add a couple more aspects to it. Would you add to unmerited favor? God's unconditional blessing and God's unlimited enablement. God be gracious to us. The second part of this prayer is God bless us. Bless us. By the way, it's okay to ask God to bless you. Sometimes in a swing uh, to what may be called prosperity Christianity, we have stopped asking God to bless us. It's not wrong to ask God to bless you. It's wrong to ask God to bless you and keep it to yourself, but it's not wrong to ask God to bless you. Not God bless me and my wife, my son, and his wife, and us four, and no more, like the farmer prayed. It's God bless me. I hope you've prayed that prayer recently. God be gracious to me, us. God bless us. The third prayer is, God, uh, cause your face to shine on us. Cause your face to be delighted with us. Now, we don't use the phrase shining face very often, but you know what it means. Uh, The face uh, is a metaphor for not only identity of the person. Have you ever seen two men who look uh, identical from the back and they turn around and they... They're identifiable. In the church that I served in India, we had a set of identical twins, and I I could never keep them apart. And one day, in great desperation, I said, Brother, I do not know who you are, brother, but I know you're your brother's brother. And uh, he said, Yes, brother. And to favor his pastor, he grew a beard so that I can keep their names apart. But more than identifying the face, it's identifying the sentiment. You know a happy face from a sad face. You know a joyful face from a disappointed face. You know a face that is pleased from a face that's angry. You ask your husband how he is doing, and he says, fine, barking like a seal at you. You only know from his face he's not doing fine. Or your teenager crossing the door, and uh, he says, fine, and you know from the face it's not so fine. God, cause your face to shine on us. Now, what does that mean, the shining face? 
The closest thing to a shining face uh, came uh, when our first son was born, two weeks late than he was expected to. He's been late ever since, but that did not matter. <laughs> On Saturday, Bonnie dropped me at Luffield because I was going to Austin, and she said, everything will be fine. This is two weeks later, okay, beyond due time, date. And, and uh, I went to Austin and called her and said, how are things going? She said, you better come back right away. I said, sweetheart, how quickly you change your mind. I came back that evening, and we rushed to Baylor. On the way there, I said to the lady, my wife's going to have a baby. The lady said, is this her first baby? I said, no, this is her husband speaking. And so we ran into the hospital. We had our first son, and I came out in the middle of the night. A set of friends looked at my face and said, Ramesh, you got a shining face. So we don't even need a flash to take your picture. Now, what is happening? I mean, I was so thrilled and filled with delight that my face showed it. Now, that's what the psalmist is saying. We want you to be absolutely pleased with a shining face, with how we are relating to you. And in a moment, we'll know that it's because of his salvation, and we, we steward his salvation well. And because he's given us gifts, and we handle his gifts rightly, God is delighted, absolutely pleased with us. And to the audience of the psalmist, and anybody else who heard this prayer, their minds raced back to the great ironic blessing of number six, which said, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his what? Face to shine upon you. Now, why is the psalmist praying this prayer? Lord, be gracious to us, bless us, cross your face, and shine on us. Period, no. Uh, so that we can sit on it, no. This is not a prayer of just reception. This is a prayer of action. This is not a prayer of selfishness. And everybody can relate to verse 1. It's me, it's me, it's me, Lord. Adam Bede speaks about the rooster cock which rose every day to think that the sun rose every day to hear it crow. That's the disease of a selfish Christianity, a privatized view of the faith. Well, verse 2 is the end of the prayer. It doesn't finish with verse 1. Lord, please be gracious, bless us. Cause your face to shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. That's why God's blessing you. That's why you can ask God to bless you so that his ways may be known on the earth and his salvation among all nations. The reason God is blessing you is not so you can keep it, so you can sit on it. It's because his ways may be known on the earth the salvation among all nations. Actually, in the psalm are the three major global terms of, uh, in Hebrew uh, for the whole world, the world of people and geography and so on. If you look at the end of verse 2a, that their ways may be known on the earth, the word earth really refers to this whole globe. This uh, speck of a planet, and we don't know how many planets there are yet, into a speck of a galaxy, and we don't know how many galaxies there are, in a speck of a 
system, and we don't know how many systems there are. This little thing was dignified and valued by the Almighty God. Because anybody can say God is great. Our neighbors down this road are willing to say God is great. That God is small is the thing. They took this little, little, small globe and made it his visit. The earth. Some of you remember uh, the Apollo series. I'm talking here not about Rocky, but about the spaceships. James Irwin was a great Christian astronaut, and we had him speak to our congregation some years ago, and he's now passed on. He said when he left the earth and headed off to the moon, the size of the earth began to shrink. It shrank to the size of a basketball, and then to the size of a soccer ball, and then to the size of a tennis ball, and then to the size of a golf ball. And then he pulled out a little blue marble from his pocket and said, this is how it appeared from there. This is how it appeared from there. And then he said, I suddenly realized that everything that was precious to me was on this little blue marble. Ladies and gentlemen, everything that is precious to him is on this little blue marble. Unexplainable, but true. The reason God's blessed you and you and you and all of you. Me, salvation plus, is so that his ways may be known on the earth. His salvation among the nations. Now, if the earth is simply a 228, I think, 248 million square kilometers, that's not very big, you know. You can get on a plane, be anywhere in the world in the next uh, 24 hours. Now, your bags may not get there, but, uh, but you'll get there. He's talking here now about nations. The number of nations is actually changing as well. Depends on who you talk to. Whether you talk to the United Nations, you talk to the International Olympic Committee, you talk to the Postal System or AT&T, number of nations. They tell me there are about 240 nations and uh, sovereign states in the world. Because God's blessed you. Big nations like America and small nations like Singapore. Rich nations like America and poor nations like Kenya. Populated nations like America and sparsely populated nations like parts of Western Europe. Because God's blessed you. He says, I'm praying for your blessing that there'll be salvation among the nations. Global knowledge. The reason God's blessed us is because of global knowledge through us. Now we have the first chorus. If you look at it, actually verses 3 and 5 are identical. You want to write the words uh, praise, global praise. They're identical. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Global praise. The psalmist is saying, because he's blessed you, he wants global praise. He calls the nations in order to praise him. Now, this afternoon, uh, I get to go to the Cowboys game because last night another friend from another assembly called me and said, hey, you want to go to the Cowboys game today? I said, okay, I've got two tickets. When I'm there this afternoon, there's going to be a lot of praise. I hope it's praise for the right team, but it's going to be a lot of praise. There's a day coming when there's going to be a lot of praise. 
He wants to have a preview and a premonition. That there will be the praise, let them throw praise at the one who deserves all praise. Here's the third term that refers to the whole world. Not only the earth and nations, but the word peoples, you see. Peoples. This refers to sociological distinctions, both externally imposed and self-defined. Externally imposed, we know there are about 11,000 people groups in the world. Self-defined, we know that there are 300 kinds of genes people wear and they define themselves. Externally imposed, we know that there are 6,528 languages, some studies in Wycliffe says. But self-defined, we know there's different kinds of pronunciations of even the English language. Actually, there are basically three major race systems, perhaps a fourth. The first one is what may be called the Caucasoids. Most of you belong there, and if you want to be surprised, I'm called a Caucasoid as well. Not Caucasoid white, but Caucasoid. And then there is the Negroid systems of the world. And then there are the Mongoloid systems of the world. There's a fourth one called Texan humanoid systems in the world, but I will never be able to understand them. <laughs> but let all the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples, regardless where they are, you can divide them by language, you can divide them by politics, you can divide them by racial characteristics, you can divide them by economics in a nine-class system, upper, 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 middle, upper, lower, to middle, 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 upper, middle, lower, to lower, upper, lower, middle, lower. It all depends on how you want to define peoples. And the psalmist says, let all the peoples praise you. Global praise. But it all begins with the people of God being blessed. The reason God has blessed you and you and you is that you become the first link in an aggressive chain contagion that reverberates across the whole world. Global knowledge, global praise. The center of the psalm is verse 4. This is stanza number 2. If you'd like to write a phrase on the side, put the words global joy, global joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. The psalmist now, having exhorted the peoples to praise him, having called down the blessing of God in the believing community, says the result of this is the nations singing for joy. Now, unfortunately, the psalmist did not live at this front end of the 21st century. Because wherever I go in this world, there is not, no joy. All of you are watching what is happening in Pakistan just a couple of weeks ago. And I know that Ali is coming back today uh, from Pakistan when uh, we have the potential future prime minister being killed. You've been uh, aware of what's happening in Kenya when people are like mice having to dart out and dart back in, not being able to find food. Sri Lanka, the Norwegians were trying to put together a peace plan after six and a half years has broken down. And they've just packed up the bags and left. And there's going to be more bloodshed. The last 20 years were 80,000 people who were killed. In northeastern Congo, where I had the privilege of being in Congo last uh, a couple of months ago, over 4 million people have already died inside Congo, a land of immense death and disaster. But northeastern Congo, even this week's newspapers between Rwanda and Congo, is all this death coming up. Or we can talk about Venezuela. We can talk about South Africa and their own challenges in the next presidential election there. 
This world is not in joy. We can talk about the AIDS crises and the floods crises. You know, the entire villages in southern Africa, there's not a single male older than the age of 12. Just imagine, not a single male over 12. We can talk about the education crisis. 500,000 elementary schools in uh, one country which do not have access to textbooks or toilets. Have you ever tried to keep an elementary school kid from going to the toilet? Joy, the psalmist is hallucinating. Nations sing for joy. The entire Middle East, we don't know what's going to happen. Even this week, the Iranians tried to upstage the president's visit. I, I really don't know what's going to happen. In our own city, most likely the honor killings of two young ladies, much like my daughter or your daughter. Or last week in Chicago, where a 57-year-old Indian man set fire to his daughter, her husband, because she had married out of caste and killed three of them, including their son. Nations sing for joy? Psalmist know what he's speaking about? I want you to notice the tense of the next two phrases. Let them sing for joy now, for you will. You will judge the nations with uprightness. You will lead the nations with equity. You will guide them in righteousness. So there's a day coming when every question that you've ever asked, every problem you've wanted to solve, every condition you wanted to address, every relational breakdown that you wanted to completely overturn. There's a day coming when the king comes, when Jesus comes. But all this is going to be redressed. And the whole world will become Texas Stadium. And they will acknowledge him. But the psalmist says they can sing for joy now because of what Jesus is going to do later. Let me ask you, how can they sing for joy now if they don't know what is going to happen in the future, if they don't know about the one who's going to redress the future? I was in Haiti a couple of years ago. We're grateful that things have changed significantly. 300 pastors. We had one pastor who had built a congregation of 3,000 people and just finished a building. With the street anarchy, the number of people came down to 600. He's asking us, how do we cope now with the new reality of only 600 people who may come to church when the building seats 3,000 just overnight almost? When I met with the committee, they said, oh, there's no systemic hope. There's no systemic hope for Haiti. Except when Jesus comes back. I was in Calcutta speaking at the Keswick Conference. In Calcutta, they call Calcutta toilet, the toilet bowl of the planet, euphemistically. There are more people living on the sidewalks of Calcutta than live in Ottawa, the capital city of Canada. It's exactly the size of the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. 16 million people living inside Dallas-Fort Worth airport. How do you like that? And the Keswick Committee said, there is no hope. There's no hope for Calcutta until Jesus comes back. Would you like to give them at least the hope of Jesus 
coming back. People ask me, hey, why are we after large numbers of people? Why do you want to change a billion? A billion is too small. There's six and a half billion people right now. By the year 2050, there'll be nine billion people on the planet. It's simply a reality that there are large numbers of people. That's why we're after large numbers of people. Not because we want to seek them. I'd rather sit in the library at Dallas Seminary. I love it. Climate controlled, completely protected, deep in my own thought. But I'm not losing my life at that point, you know. I'm trying to gain it at my own initiative. The psalmist says, Lord, you bless us. You be gracious to us. You cause your face to shine on us so there will be global knowledge, there will be global praise, there will be global joy with the prospect of what he's going to do in the future. Now, verse 5 is a repeat of verse 3. You want to write global praise again? And I will uh, just leave it at that. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Global praise. I told you I was in Congo not too long ago. You may be aware that non-Western Christianity has now become mature. It was sometime in 1980, probably October of 1980, the number of Christians in the non-West began to supersede the number of Christians in traditionally Christian countries. Indeed, there are only three parts of the world where Christianity is in decline. The Middle East, most parts of it, except for a couple I know, there's some hope. North Africa is okay, an Arabic-speaking uh, world, but, but not the Middle East. Western Europe and the United States. 80 to 85% of the church in America is in decline. And so we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be relying on the Church of America to define the future. In Congo, this was the first time I was in a place where there was absolutely no Western presence. They told me, you'll see this. People are just fertile. Thousands and thousands of Africans are coming to Christ. And so we've had to re-look and strategize missions. As I was sharing about a month ago in the fellowship hall there, there are four major strategies of missions. The we-to-us model. This is a navigator, the campus crusade when they first began model. We-to-us. The second is the we-to-them model. The first one was about after the Second World War. The second one, we-to-them, started really about uh, 200 years ago, a little over 200 years ago, when William Carey, the English cobbler, brilliant Nobel Prize laureate, you should have been, who was uh, serving in Calcutta. The third model is what may be called the they-to-them model. That's what's happening in Congo. God has raised incredible, about two million pastoral leaders in places all over the world, and they're saying, regardless of what help we get, God has called us and gifted us, we're going to go forward. The they-to-them model. The fourth model is what may be called the they-to-us model. When this morning somebody asked for a prayer request for a Spanish language Bible study, that is actually a they-to-us model. People from outside this country have come now in order to serve this country. And uh, they're just returning the favor. The fifth model, beyond these four models, is what I think is the right model. It's everyone to everywhere. It's really anybody to anywhere. Sometimes we need the we to us, sometimes we need the we to them, sometimes we need the they to them, and then the they to us. All of those models, all involved in let 
The peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Depends on how the Great Commission needs to get done. And that's how you make the strategic decision. In my own opinion, it's no longer between Western missionaries and indigenous missionaries. It's the local pastor who has this critical defining role, whether it's here in Richardson or in New Delhi. Global praise. The reason God's blessed me and you, so you become the first link in an aggressive chain contagion that reaches and reverberates into the whole world. Stanza number three is verses six and seven. You want to write global worship. Global worship. Verse six is the only verse in the past tense. Now, some versions make this into a prayer. But 6a, the earth has already yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. The earth has already yielded its produce. So in an agrarian economy, the earth yielding its produce was a validation, not a verification, but a validation of God's blessing. To the community of Christ here, we know that this produce, the blessing of God, began with salvation, verse 2. But we've got much more than just salvation. We have salvation plus. Do you know who the most blessed Christians and people in the world are? The most blessed people in the world are not Christians. The most blessed people in the world are not Americans. The most blessed people in the world are American Christians. Now, I know with an election year coming and recessions uh, around the corner and the price of gas is going up and the exchange rate of the dollar seems to be going down. But just this week, I read of what is called a factor of 32. Mathematicians use 32 as the equation of 2 to the power of 5. But economists use 32 to talk about our consumption of resources and our expensive waste that the average American, that's me and you, that's first me and then you, we consume and expend 32 times the resources and waste, perhaps of an average Kenyan. We are the most blessed people in the world. In spite of everything that portends, it's a critical year coming up for America, we are the most blessed people in the world, especially if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you come back from a trip and you want to kiss the ground. Yakov Smirnov, the Russian comic, remember him? Talks about what a country, what a country. He's a man, and I go into a grocery store. Says, I, I, I find this uh, juice. It's all you add, water, and you get orange powder, orange juice. And then I go the next, and I find milk powder. All you do is add water, and milk powder, you get milk. And then he says, I go to the third aisle, and it says baby powder. And he says, I add water and get babies. This is an amazing country. What a country. <laughs> you remember the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler did not have multiple sets of uh, cars and clothes like uh, we do and, and uh, climate-controlled heated uh, homes and uh, air-conditioned homes and running hot water, maybe not even running cold water. And he's called a rich young ruler. What does that make me and you? The earth has yielded its produce. If you don't sense God's blessing right now, don't you worry about this talk. 
But if you sense in the deepest core of your being that there is blessing, salvation, and plus in your life, look at verse 6b. God blesses us. 7. God blesses us that the ends of the earth may worship him. Global worship. That the ends of the earth. By the way, that was picked up by the Lord Jesus in Acts 1, the end of the earth. And Romans 15, Paul says, to preach the gospel where it's not been named, the ends of the earth. When I heard your pastor this morning, I think what he was saying is we bring it on back home. For a long time, we've been sending them. I was with Mike Brunel, your friend, and uh, tent maker in Indonesia. We had one of the greatest meetings of our life. They're expecting 250 people. The day I arrived before the meeting, 350 people had signed up. We were literally praying, God, please don't let them come. This was the top of the World Trade Center. And so Mike and Rick actually went to the uh, leaders and said, uh, we have too many people coming. They said, well, we can have a stand-up dinner rather than a sit-down dinner. And we had a stand-up dinner. All these fine Indonesians who came for a stand-up dinner. That night, 52 people embraced Christ. Many of them who were from a non-Christian majority faith there in Indonesia. But guess what? The end of the earth is right down the corner. Yesterday, Bonnie and I, we drove on the, the west of Belt Line. We wanted to drive all the way to 35, simply because uh, we always take one of the other roads, you know. We wanted to slow it down, and the number of Korean and Spanish and, and Vietnamese restaurants and headings. And, and then you go to the east on Belt Line, you got a whole bunch of Arabic and, and the finest Chinese restaurants, and all such as just around the corner from us. 30.5 million people in America are foreign-born out of the 40 million, 12% of America. The end of the earth is right here, right now. And all they want is your special initiative in friendship and conversation. And then it turns into platforms. When he talked about your gym becoming a community gym, that's an option because my daughter actually came and did her practice shots here. And she qualifies as one who is foreign-born. In fact, REACH has an entire cluster of projects called America's Multi-Ethnic Network. The Lord willing, this Easter Sunday in New York City, the greater New York region, we're going to do late Easter Sunday morning when every church is full, we want every church, every service full. We want a 2008 broadcast called Self-Entrapment. You may want to go to our website. You can watch it even right now. But God has brought to us those whom we could not reach. And these are come as tourists, as business people, some of the highest reaches in American society, placed next to you. The end of the earth may fear, because you are blessed. The reason God's blessed you, the reason God has blessed you, is that you become the first link in an aggressive chain contagion that reverberates across the world. And the world has come here. So there will be global knowledge, which includes here. There will be global praise, that includes here. Global joy, just around the corner in the Centennial Project. Global praise at the end of the earth, wherever it is. Global 
question. That's why God's blessed you. Not to mourn a number, but to have a sympathy that never leaves the watch. George Steiner in his book, Language in Silence, says when the torture murders of Treblinka were going on, he was confused as to how people would be massacred in one part of the world while they in New York were going to movies, eating ice cream and making love. He said, I don't know how to put this together except there are two zones in the planet, bad zones and good zones. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I live in the good zone. The reason God has placed you in the good zone with salvation and more is that you become the first link in an aggressive chain contagion that reverberates across the whole world. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for your plan of thinking large purpose and long-term and including us in your eternal vision for this earth. And somehow our convictions uh, say that only if they come to you, there will be salvation. I ask that uh, CBC will be able to continue all that it's done in the past. And as Bob said, to extend and initiate things new in 2008 that will not only end up in the end of the world, but end up in the end of the world that is right on this very street. I thank you for your migration patterns. Thank you for your genius in bringing peoples from all over the world into our own systems and situations here so that they can have an opportunity to receive your salvation and they being a multiplication to their homelands and elsewhere. Would you provide a paradigm and a model, a plan and a task for this congregation that they can become the first link in an aggressive chain contagion that reaches across the world? For those who do not sense God's blessing, right now. I ask that you'll speak to them and comfort them. Remind them of the heritage of salvation. And I pray that somehow there will be, even in that realization, the beginning of divine resources to reach those who do not know you as yet. I ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus and for the sake of his reputation. Amen. Thank you for this morning. Please stop by the table. I look forward to greeting you. Bye-bye.